Hello again, Emerging Cricket fans. Another bumper show this week, but before we do jump into the show, a shout out to our latest patrons. Mardu Murali, EC contributor Tim Brooks, Charlie Burke, and a man you'll hear plenty from today, Paul Van Makeren. Thank you so much for joining the EC movement. From as little as $2 US a month as a patron, you can access bonus content and Emerging Cricket, and you can have a say on the show's direction to sign up. Log on to Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Emerging Cricket. On today's show, we wrap news from all around the world, and after our snippet last week, we have our full interview with Paul Van Makeren. Plenty to discuss this week. Let's go. Hello and welcome again to the Emerging Cricket Podcast online and on Sport FM in Perth. I'm Daniel Bezik. You'll hear from Tim Cutler and Nick Skinner in a few moments' time when we catch up with Dutch fast bowler Paul Van Makeren. But first, some news around the Emerging game this week. And first, New Zealand's Greg Barclay has been elected as the independent ICC chair, beating out Singapore's Imran Khawaja for the role. Barclay has been a director of New Zealand cricket since 2012 and was New Zealand's representative on the board of the ITC. Upon appointment, Barclay stated intentions to grow the game beyond its core markets, committing to working for all 100-plus members. Meanwhile, the ICC has confirmed the introduction of minimum age restrictions for international cricket, Players must be 15 to compete in men's, women's and under-19s international play and will apply across bilateral and ICC events. Member boards can apply for players under 15 to play under exceptional circumstances. The planned quadrangular series between Qatar, Nepal, Uganda and Malaysia has been postponed, with the Qatari government not approving the series due to COVID-19 restrictions. The tournament was originally scheduled to begin on the 14th of December. Staying with Nepal and four members of their planned closed training camp have tested positive for COVID-19. Skipper Ganendra Mala, Dependra Singh Iri, Rohit Kumar Pordell and staff member Pradeep Lama were unable to join the team after their positive tests with Anil Kumar Saar, Lokesh Balm, Bikram Sob, Rit Gautam and Kushal Bertal all included as replacements. To keep up with news from Cricket's New World, make sure to follow Emerging Cricket on your favourite social media platform and make sure to visit EmergingCricket.com. But for now, sit back and relax. We have our full interview with Dutch fast bowler Paul Van Makeren. I'm Paul Redley, sports writer for The National in the UAE. You're listening to the Emerging Cricket Podcast. Well, the hits keep on coming here at the Emerging Cricket Podcast. We've been lucky enough to welcome a number of guests, especially in 2020, and we've got another one this week, boys. A big one indeed, the customary welcome. Dutch fast bowler Paul Van Nekeren. How are you, Paul? I'm very good, thank you. Uh, You caused a a few waves on social media. Uh, Do you want to uh, elaborate on that? It was just a simple, light-hearted tweet, to be fair. We just, you know, saw, saw a tweet on, on social media about the T20 World Cup and I thought, let's pretend the Dutchie was playing in this final and um, how things can change. And that sort of got very big, very quickly. Um, but, you know, it's all good and all the very positive. So uh, it went the right way uh, viral or however you want to call it, instead of sometimes where it can go negative. Well, is that viral that uh, things move quickly in the internet world? It seems that somebody has already updated your Wikipedia page for you. Now, it's, uh, it's not quite the uh, Davy Jacobs level of uh, Wikipedia <laughs> update. But how do you feel that someone is like that close to the action that's updating your Wikipedia page for you that I'm assuming is not you? 
<laughs> it's definitely not me because uh, uh, I think I was quite surprised when you just told me. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's funny. It's funny how cricket is that small back home where people think confuse it with polo or with croquet. But I think in other parts of the world, it just shows how cricket, how big cricket is, and how much people follow cricket or cricketers. But uh, yeah, it's it's pretty insane, and I'm, I'm not sure if it's viral or not. That's how some people have described it. So I'm going with it. So we should probably double check that everyone's actually in on what's happened here because, I mean, you'd probably have to be under a rock if, if you've missed this, especially in the circles of cricket. But you mentioned that, yeah, with the T20 World Cup supposed to be going on uh, at this very time, you, well, according to the Wikipedia page, you revealed that um, you've been working as a as an Uber Eats delivery driver to keep yourself going in 2020. A lot of different people have had to pivot and do a number of different things to, to keep themselves going. For me, it does definitely highlight the precarious situation that associate cricket players are in. And what is a great joy for us as associate cricket fans is obviously a double-edged sword sometimes where for you guys, you, you guys aren't quite remunerated properly for all the, the hard work that you do on, on the cricket field. So in terms of 2020, you know how tricky has it been for you yourself and, and for your Dutch teammates as well? I think it's been a difficult time for everyone, you know. It's not just us as cricketers. I'm sure there are many people in many different sports who are in a similar situation. But yeah, uh, obviously I got released at the end of 2019 with Somerset. And uh, I just wanted to um, hopefully use 2020 to sort of earn a new contract at the different county in the UK. But uh, obviously then COVID came along. And, you know, not only through international cricket, but also sort of domestic cricket up in the air. I think it's been fantastic to see some international cricket and obviously domestic cricket being played around the world, which is fantastic. But Chris, um, it's been a challenge. And um, uh, I think uh, well, I know for a fact, because I've spoken to all the Dutch guys who are involved in, in the Dutch team at the moment recently. You know, it's, it's been tough times for everyone. And, uh, you know, I'm not the only one who's delivering packages or food to sort of pay, the, pay their bills at the end of the month. I found it very therapeutic work uh, so far. So I just jump in the car and it's literally... I drive four or five hours and it feels like two or three. I, I got a app on my phone, so I just listen to some Dutch radio and off I go. I would rather play cricket than, than do this. But, you know, at the same time, I'm enjoying it. And it's a bit of a nice, relaxing therapy. That's how it feels like to me. But yeah, obviously, I'm a cricketer and I want to play cricket 24-7 and all year round. So, uh, you know, this is just a temporary sort of uh, period and hopefully the world can get back to normal and can play cricket again. And, uh, you know, not just myself, but all the Dutch guys and, and the guys who play in Orange, hopefully we can go, go out, express ourselves and obviously put a few uh, good performances together, not just for us ourselves, but also for associate cricket and, and, and beat some of the bigger bigger teams in the world. It is still an exciting period for the Dutch guys coming up. I know that you guys were supposed to play in the World Cup this year. Unfortunately, that hasn't happened with, with everything going on. Now playing in, in India next year instead of Australia as well. Take us back to qualification uh, and, and that process in UAE. You guys had a pretty good time of it, a pretty solid squad from top to bottom. You know, you were part of that fast bowling cartel, which was really strong in that particular tournament and actually extracted a lot of bounce and pace through the wickets, even in UAE. Talk us about that, that qualification uh, campaign because it, it looked successful from over here i think it was very successful but i think like you guys know very well one bad game can cost you a tournament i think scotland obviously showed that how how close they were from maybe not making the world cup and they were probably one of the favorites to win the tournament 
But um, obviously, we had a, a very strong squad with Colin Ackerman joining the squad as well. And, and Tendo being back for us, obviously, two big players. But I think everyone gelled together nicely. We had a sort of a bit of a rough patch coming into to, in the tournament with the tri-series we had in Ireland, where some questions were asked. Probably didn't go too well in the prep in Oman performance-wise. But I think we as a team were very... We, we knew that we were in a good place, even though the results during those games weren't really there. But the training we did, them, we just knew we were in a good place. And I think in that period in Oman, we just trying maybe too few, few many things as individuals, maybe during games, just tinkering with our game. And then when we got to Dubai, we just went to, you know, what we did best, really stayed with our sort of personal strengths. And that showed through in how we sort of ran through the tournament in, in, in a lot of convincing and dominant wins uh, with one little slip up in the group stage. I'm interested to know, too, that you guys qualified thinking that you would be playing in Australia, and now the reality is that you guys will actually be in India playing in that tournament. The reason I sort of bring that up is because it looked like the way that the team was set up with Cambo, and and especially with you as part of that fast bowling group, that it was definitely a team almost built for Australian conditions in a way. I know you got a lot of depth in, in the spin bowling as well, but, you know, the likes of yourself, Glover, class and van der Hoogten as well it looked as if you guys were very much set up for Australian conditions what's it going to be like now pivoting to say a subcontinental tournament is it any different for you guys preparing for that I think yes Australia would have probably suited us a bit better but again obviously the last T20 World Cup was in India and we've had plenty of guys who were at that tournament I think the year before even though there are not too many guys left of the team we played in Bangladesh as well so I think we've got the experience uh, as a team in those conditions we've been in UAE a lot, which is, you know, again, similar kind of conditions sometimes. But as you saw during the qualifiers, we got sort of some bouncy wickets as well. But yeah, I'm sure Kemba is planning something spectacular probably to get a good prep in before the World Cup and probably in an, in an Asian country. But uh, there's a, a lot of cricket to be played before that. So hopefully we can use those experience, which is hopefully coming up this summer, to take into the World Cup and, and you you know, do our thing in, in India. And I think, as any cricketer would say, World Cup in India can be a very special experience. So, you know, it has some positives and some negatives, but I think any cricket we can play at level and uh, we're looking forward to as a team. So you're talking about the team and, and preparing, and I'm very interested in how, you know, you've had this year basically of just a huge gap in the schedule where there's barely been any cricket played, you know, some domestic stuff. But how does the team as a unit keep your momentum up after storming through the qualifiers and then just having to sort of sit on your heels for a year, basically? You know, how are you keeping the team together as a unit? You know, are there Zoom training sessions, that sort of stuff? And then related to that, how are you you know, around around your deliveries, you know, how are you training and, and staying in shape for your bowling? You know, we'll find out when we get playing cricket as a team together, how, how we've gone through it. But I think we are quite lucky that we have a lot of guys in different professional setups still training and, and have been playing. So when we get back, we have guys who have a bit of game time under the belt. Some guys will be a bit undercooked. But I think, you know, as an associate cricketer, we sometimes have long spells without any cricket. So I don't think it's necessarily something new for us. And those are some of the just adjustments we probably have to make and, you know, get get a two months prep in, into like two weeks. I mean, that's what we do. You know, when we go on tour, we spend five or six days prepping and not two weeks like the big team. So I think once we get playing cricket, we, we sort of dust ourselves off and we get back with some hard training sessions and, and get the loads up. Firstly, you know, it's, it's, it's tough with the gym's closed not really having a, an SNC we've got some SNC programs for the Dutch guys which which has been fantastic put together very individual uh, programs so you know at the moment it's just trying to do some running and and do that and hopefully when for myself personally when the counties start 
training indoors again hopefully there are a few opportunities knocking around to do a bit of training with them so obviously hopefully i can fight for a contract or earn a contract but at the same time just get my overs in and and, and you know get ready for any dutch stuff coming up you said that, uh, people would know with associate cricket there are a lot of gaps in games and you know even more so and then now and pre-covid between Cricket World Cup League 2 and qualifying events but there might be people listening who don't really understand the way that associate cricketers are contracted or not contracted can you talk a little bit about as the leading associate nation what contract system there is there for the for the men so we've we've got quite a few guys contracted now at the moment back home which is fantastic even though they're quite small contracts and more like a part-time contract but you know, it gives guys the opportunity to focus more on their cricket than they probably could have done in the past. But I think we're not there yet. But, you know, that's that's something, obviously, we always try and work for. I think, um, as you can see, I'm locked in as the Dutch Cricket Association. We, as Dutch guys, have come together this during this COVID period to sort of form a players' association. And I think, uh, you know, hopefully we can we can build something for the players back home where, where we can uh, look after the guys and make sure they, we can prepare them the best way possible for these big games that we got coming up with the Dutch team. And uh, I think as a DCA, you know, hopefully we can help growing the game as well and, and promote the game back home. Well, yeah, for those who are only listening, which is uh, which is everybody, uh, when you <laughs> sign into Zoom, you popped up with Dutch Cricketers Association. So I'm, I'm glad that you brought that up. Can you talk a little bit more about that? I know that you just you mentioned that, you know, what precipitated it and has it been in consultation with FICA or with the, perhaps the Scottish Association who, who are also only been recently inaugurated? What happened there? You know, I think Tim van der Guchte and Peter Saylor tried to sort of get this up and going a few years ago, and then uh, it never really got anywhere because of just personal reasons. And, uh, you know, we've all, we always talk about something maybe that sometimes the players need to be represented and, and, you know, have a voice. And there are so many big ones around the world, like in Australia, South Africa, New Zealand and England. You know, it's time for us to sort of come together as well and, and you know, see what we can do for Dutch guys. I mean, there's so many guys who study or, or have a job and then can't focus on cricket and we're missing out on a lot of talent and I think as a DCA we're just trying to help these guys and make sure that the players get what they deserve and uh, it's about just making sure every voice is heard and you know we can help the KCB in, in setting out a pathway for Dutch guys to hopefully play cricket professionally. So you, you just mentioned that there are some contracts, but sort of more on a almost semi-professional basis for the Dutch players. Is it a you know a retainer or is it a per match sort of situation? And without any matches being played, what support is the KNCB offering players? And you know just what have you guys been told? I guess around the the financial side of things. Um, you know, I don't want to go too deep into it uh, we just started talking with the KCB as well so we had our initial chat so we're still building a relationship and a partnership that we want to put together and obviously that's going to be based on trust as well so we obviously in that process of creating that trust uh, showing that we have the right intentions and um I got no doubt that, that we get uh, a good partnership going with the KNCB. We've used, we've had a lot of help from FICA setting it up. I think without Tom Moffat at FICA, we, we would have been struggling to get it all up and running. But with their guidance, it's been fantastic. Obviously, I've spoken to the Scottish guys and how and why they started doing it. So, um, you know, it's been exciting times. Uh, regarding the contracts, it's it's a, a monthly retainer and, and some uh, match allowances. But yeah, you have to play your cricket in Holland to sort of qualify for the contracts. That's one of their standards, which is fair enough. We want those guys who are contracted to train 
all year round in Holland and with the squad. So um, I don't even know. I don't even know exactly how many contracts are they're going around. But I think it's it's a great setup at the moment. There's a good good enough setup at the moment where where guys, you know, gain folks a bit more on the cricket than studying and then need to pay bills. So they need to drop on the side and then cricket comes. Now, sort of with that monthly retainer they get, they can focus a bit more on the cricket and studies and, and then maybe need a smaller drop on the side. But I think this is something we as a DCA are looking into. And um, as we said, we're just in the starting, uh, starting phase and, you know, we're trying to create that platform where we can then kick off and help guys in the Netherlands, but also some of our members who are outside the Netherlands. There's been a trend over the years of a lot of Dutch players playing in, in the English system, and you're an example of that. Now, in recent years, we've seen it be a little bit more difficult for players to be able to commit to a county contract, but also be able to play internationally. And there's a lot of logistical red tape surrounding all of that. I was interested to kind of hear from you just how important, you know, a county contract and county deals are for cricketers like you in developing your game because as you said before associate cricketers you know games can be quite sporadic internationally but to have a week in week out routine for playing just how important is that is that for your development and your growth as a cricketer Uh, i think it's massive i mean if you can focus 12 months here on cricket and have that set up with you know not just one or two coaches or three coaches for 27 players now you're talking about six or seven coaches for a group of 24 players which it was at Somerset you know you get a lot more contact time with coaches on the side you got the SNC and the physios so just sort of committing to cricket it's easier and it just that it helps with the development I think the work Ryan Campbell has done uh, back home it's been amazing the last few years. I was lucky enough to go home during the summer and play a few inter-squad games. And some of the talent on the 17 and under 19 guys coming through, I was very surprised by. Because uh, obviously I've been away. I moved out of the Netherlands in 2016. So some of these guys have gone through in the last years. And I, I was... Uh, I got very energetic and very um, happy to see some of the youngsters coming through in the state and how talented some of the groups coming through are, which was a bit of a surprise, to be honest, but it shows the hard work, you know, Kembo, uh, Hassan and, and the people who are doing the youth coaching back home. Well, as um, <laughs> this year has been uh, very different in a lot of ways, but one of one of the less highlighted changes, I guess, has been the end of the Cottonau Agreement, which was basically the uh, the trade deal which allowed European players to play um, as locals in county cricket. And now on top of that, there's Brexit issues, which may affect visas for, for people coming into the UK. What do you know about how that'll affect your chances or, or, or your, your prospects at getting contracts in, in England going forward? I hope you're ready because this is a... Here we go. Oh, we're ready. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, it looks like he's pulled out the manuscript to... Uh... No, no. <laughs> the, the EU law. <laughs> Some Van Meckeren manifesto. No, yeah, no. Um, um, I've had this chat a few times, but um, I haven't really followed the Brexit as much. I just, make, I just followed it regarding what it could have meant for me on a personal note. I'm lucky enough that because I'm here and I got my pre-settled status and then this April I got my settled status because I've done five years, I can play as a local. So I, all the guys with a Dutch passport or European passport with a settled status in the UK at the moment can still play as a local even after the Brexit. So that's a big positive. Obviously, it has closed the doors on maybe some of the Dutch cricketers coming too, like a Buster Lady who's been with the MCC Young Cricketers, Philip Bussefan, the leg spinner, obviously coming through the ranks a little bit, made some noise the last few years. That door is pretty much closed on them now at the moment, as far as, far as I know, which is a shame. 
But, um, you know, we can't control it. So I think that's the way it is. Firstly, yes, I can still play as a local, but it's still tough because a lot of teams find it hard to sign someone who's not ECB qualified, unless you're overseas, because obviously they will get ECB handouts for playing uh, ECB low, uh, qualified guys. So I'm trying to get a citizenship so I can get my ECB qualification, but that's not till April 2022 at the moment. <laughs> and on the side of that, uh, you have to spend so many days inside the UK and for your settled status, your ECB status, and for your citizenship status, they're all different days. So it ranges from 180 days inside the UK to 210 days inside the UK to on average, not more than 90 days outside the UK over five-year period. Now, in the first few years during October, I would have always gone home for five weeks and the same over Christmas for two or three. So I've spent so, so many days now overseas that I'm kind of struggling for those 450 days. And I think that's where counties are just not really aware of the whole situation. I think that's one thing. I think a lot of counties, it doesn't really matter now anymore, but in the past, maybe, you know, could have understand the process of citizenship and could have explained that to their players. So, you know, at the moment, I can't really leave the UK just to make sure I spent the days inside the UK and you know, any other Dutch stuff, you know, I can go away for. But that might take me past the 450 days that you can spend over five years. So um, I might go past it, but there might be a case of getting dispensations for all the international stuff. But then, you know, I'm, you're dealing with a solicitor who's just trying to find the answers for me at the moment. Uh, but that's luckily it's someone who's helping via the PCA. So I, it shows again how crucial a player association is as well. Well, well this is just just a one small thing that I find quite interesting is the the polo thing, right? It is a common thing. <laughs> you said that um, people often confuse cricket with polo in the Netherlands, and the, the funny thing is, we spoke to Dougal Beddingfield from Cricket Japan, and apparently they have the same issue. So what I'm quite interested in is where are people getting this idea about cricket that it's played on horses? <laughs> I don't know. It's such a good question. And I'm always like when people say like croquet, I kind of understand because cricket and croquet sounds quite similar. But then when people throw it, oh, is that the sport they play on horses? And I'm like, <laughs> but even like, and, and I'm more surprised because obviously you might not know the polo, the, the sport or cricket, the sport, but everyone knows the polo Ralph Lauren sign, a guy on a horse. And then they, you know, that's, that's where I'm always a bit surprised with. But um, yeah, I've, I've given up explaining cricket to Dutch people a long time ago or trying to properly explain it. I've got like my 20 second little explanation ready to go. But uh, when I was younger and I was very, I'm still passionate about cricket, but you know, as a 14 or 15 year old uh, dude trying to explain cricket, you know, I could talk on for 20 or 30 minutes and people sort of switching off after two minutes without realizing it. So how, how did you uh, find cricket? Because as you've alluded to, it's um, not very common for Dutch people to get into it. Yeah, uh, my dad played cricket. So my dad, as a young guy, started playing football. And that football club in the in the summertime was a cricket club. So especially in his time, everyone who played football then almost played cricket for the cricket club. Those signs have changed. So we lost our... That's why I think cricket back home has obviously been in a tough situation the last few years where a lot of football clubs that are cricket clubs in the winter don't have youth come to the cricket in the summer they, because the football seasons finish so late and start so early, you know, and it's during the summer holidays and parents go on a holiday to France for two weeks with their kids or whatever. So that's one of the many struggles cricket has found in the last few years that you know, there are not as many kids from the football club joining the cricket club. But I think that's one of many reasons, to be fair. 
Yeah, I, I think I've heard from other people who in the Netherlands in the 80s were able to actually watch the BBC and, and be able to watch cricket on television. And I'm guessing now that that's not a reality anymore. Well, they started again this year, obviously. Uh, there was a bit of cricket on BBC. But um, yeah, I think for myself growing up, I never really watched cricket on TV. When I got a bit older, uh, there were people who were having skyboxes uh, in Holland. So then obviously I saw a bit more cricket. The cricket club might have a skybox so we could watch cricket. But, you know, at home, I was never able to watch cricket unless you find some link online. But obviously that's come along in the last seven or eight years only. So myself growing up, never watched cricket. We had two cricket videos, like proper old school videotapes uh, that I used to watch a little bit and then uh, when South Africa beat Australia in that in that chase in I think in Joburg it was we somehow had those games on a DVD disc <laughs> but that's really the, the 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 cricket I watched live growing up you know so when people always ask questions like who's your inspiration who do you look up to it wasn't actually like any international cricketer it was like the first team players of my local cricket club red and white because obviously those are the guys I saw playing cricket I didn't see the Dutch team really play cricket those are the guys I saw playing cricket so you know watching a Sunday afternoon go to the cricket club and you know seeing watching them play I was like oh that's what I want to do when I grow up I want to play for the first team here and then sort of the Dutch team came into the picture and then you know I was lucky enough to sort of have, have that opportunity at county cricket that's really interesting the uh, the the local nature of Dutch cricket is something we've heard quite a bit who were your uh, heroes at Rodenwit <laughs> that's a good question uh, I think that was uh, Nick showing off his uh, Dutch there with his little pronunciation. By the way, just just slide that one in. Did I have to acknowledge that? <laughs> well, someone's got it. Normally, normally you just hear our eyes rolling. You know. <laughs> well done, Nick. Well done. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> it was very impressive, to be fair. No, but um, I think one of the names that that sort of stayed was Diederik Parfleet because his nickname was Smurf, and I used to watch the Smurfs on TV. <laughs> So, uh, you know, that it's funny how something stick, isn't it? Yeah, no, exactly. You know, as a little kid, um, you know, another guy, and he's been quite a big Dutch player, Faker Kloppenberg, but that's because he was one of my dad's best mates. Scored a century at the World Cup in 2003, yeah. No, exactly. Yeah, he was the first player to score 100 and took four wickets in the same game. And I think there's only one player since who's done it. But um, yeah, some of these guys, you know, they, they just stick with you because I watched him playing cricket and then. I later on played a bit of cricket in the second team uh, with them as well. Uh, but yeah, that, that, that's sort of, you know, the people you looked up to or you knew. But, you know, if that was because they were a cricket or they were part of the cricket club, I, I don't really know. But, uh, you know, all these people I still know and sort of, you know, speak to every now and again. And I speak a lot to Faika because he's part of the DCA. But, um, you know, that's those are just the people, yeah, you know, from the, from the cricket club. I'm not sure if they were like idols. I want to be like them when when I'm a cricketer. I want to be a better or a bowler like that person is. I don't think I'm, I made that connection when I was younger. This might sound like an obvious question. But you know, there's a rich, long heritage of cricket in the Netherlands, and the Netherlands have been, for the numbers of players especially, but you know, in the emerging world, very successful. Why is the game not bigger than it is? Probably at the end of the day, it always comes down to finance, I guess. But it's 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 a tough question. I mean, football and field hockey are obviously the main two sports back home, and and they in the recent years gone so long into the summer season, and they start so early as well. Um, uh, space 
Uh, we are a small country. We have a lot, a lot of people living there. So obviously there's maybe a little bit of lack of space just to have individual cricket fields. I know it's tough. I think every uh, one of those stories that always comes out, if you ask obviously uh, next to every cricket field, there's water where the ball goes into and then we call the slope. I think you guys have maybe heard those stories before. So <laughs> yeah. those football fields that are made sort of can't really expand them and make them into proper cricket fields because you got water going on the side of the fields yeah why is that good question <laughs> again <laughs> no one i don't think anyone knows the answer to it but uh yeah it seems that there are a lot there's a lot of water i don't mean to be flipping with that question it's just it's, it's just one of those things that as an, as an outsider even pre-moving to hong kong and whatnot to see the dutch always you know punching above their weight it was just an interesting question to get from your point of view you know we've spoken to to cambo many times in the past but you know he's only a recent arrival so especially you as a dutchman growing up in a well sporting but a cricket family as well as to perhaps what cricket could have done better because it's not like the Dutch don't like sport as you as you said you know football and hockey pretty close to cricket when you're kind of looking at hockey and the and the skill set needed there but um, I guess that season creep is a big thing everywhere isn't it and now there's many more things than just cricket to creep into people's time but I just thought I'd we've got you here so I thought I'd ask you that question as a as a Dutch cricketer. I think I think there's so many sports up and coming, and I think obviously the way people live nowadays, they don't want to spend seven hours on a cricket field. And I think the game is obviously not just physical, but also mental, and it's quite a difficult game to get the grasp of. So I think that's some of the stuff around the world people struggle with a little bit because it's obviously technically quite tough. So how do you get it exciting for young kids who don't really know it? I think that's that's a challenge cricket has in Holland, but also probably some cricket late nations. So um, there are many challenges regarding cricket, you know, and uh, it's always tough to see it not getting bigger or, you know, or even shrinking a little bit or the quality maybe going down a little bit or whatever. That's always tough to see, but I'm sure, you know, there will be a breakthrough at some stage and, and we can get cricket sort of a bit more on the map back home. So I'm going to put you on the spot again. What will that breakthrough be? Looking at the future in front of us, you in the ODI Super League, 13th team, and, and all things going well, get to host some of cricket's biggest nations. You've got hopefully World Cups coming. You've got the growth of women's cricket and the potential of T20 franchise cricket, amongst other opportunities. Where, where do you think along those paths will be the Netherlands take up or, or at least a game success I don't want to put it all on the Dutch people to say, you know, you will love this sport. But where do you think cricket's best chance is in the Netherlands? Um I think on a youth level, because I always enjoy coaching, so obviously I'm, I'm involved and trying to think how do you make it attractive for younger kids. I think we just need a sort of a little bit of a breakthrough in like a variant of cricket that's easy to learn and easy to pick up for kids to learn the basics and understandings of the game. And then when you see they're really enjoying the game, then going to the bowling and technical aspects, maybe it needs to be just a bit of a throw and hit game at the start and then sort of make it a bit more complicated going on. Um, what be, what obviously be a massive game changer, I think, as well for cricket is the Euro T20 Slam. It was very excited when it got announced. We all knew the challenge that it, it came with and maybe the uncertainties. So obviously, as a player, we can only dream that that happens. But, you know, 18 players earning a, a very good minimum wage, you know, the lower contracts were a very good wage and then the middle and higher one were like probably a, a yearly salary for most of our guys. So having 18 guys 
to play a, a six-week tournament or, or shorter tournament than that maybe that will definitely be a game changer not just in Holland but I guess also in Scotland and Ireland and you know if you know that tournament is on every year and 18 guys have the opportunities to play in that tournament it might keep young talented cricketers who are probably going to be talented footballers and hockeyers just that edge go like you know what actually I'm a very good hockey player but playing in that T20 tournament that's going to be in Holland and earn a decent wage is actually just that bit of a motivation to to keep playing cricket so um, yeah if we can make that Euroslam happen and obviously I think it was a 10 year deal uh, when they signed it a couple of years ago <laughs> you know how long 10 years can be as a player many guys maybe not even play the game for 10 years so you can have actually proper professional career to have that Euro T20 Slam plus a small part-time KCB contract that will give you a, a very nice yearly wage you know so if you want to grow the game in Holland to have that opportunity to have the Euro Slam for sort of the guys who are more you know the under 13s under 12 guys thinking well there's an opportunity for me to play cricket and pick cricket over hockey or football but then if you start look at for like the the four five six years old uh, who never heard of cricket who've never seen cricket maybe a slightly easier format of the game where it's sort of where they can just throw the ball and hit the ball and then slowly get into bowling and and more you know, high elbow betting stuff, which is a bit debatable now as well with guys going 360 and, you know, not using the proper old school techniques again. But, you know, I think all those players who, who are the 360 players and the big bashers probably still have that core base of that high elbow that they got taught when they were probably a little bit younger. Well, that almost sounds like the Milo cricket we, we have here in Australia. Um, you, you mentioned cricket losing athletes to other sports. Has there been much effort put into maybe going the other way and trying to convert some talented athletes into cricketers? I, I know other countries have certainly had success with that, especially in the women's game. Yeah, I know it's done for other sports. I know obviously uh, it's happened a little bit in the women's games. I'm not sure... If anything like that has been done back home, obviously, as, as a player, you're not involved with that. But, you know, it's maybe something we can look into. But I think there's a lot that needs to happen. I'm, I'm looking at the moment more of what we can do for the guys who are in and around the national squad with the DCA, obviously. And I've got the passion for cricket and I've always enjoyed coaching and the youth stuff. As you said, the Milo cricket, uh, you got, I think it's KFC kits or something in, in South Africa. Or you got definitely all-stars here in the UK. And I've attended some of those all-stars sessions part of the community stuff at Somerset and I've always enjoyed doing it I think it's a brilliant platform that we should use in, in Holland and I thought I think the KNCB has launched a similar initiative called Cricket for Kids I'm not sure if you guys seen that before but um, they've done something similar I've looked it up myself and, and thought about it and I've given my feedback to someone within the KNCB because uh, obviously I'm quite passionate about it and think there's a lot of potential in what they've made and I've just mentioned to them that I think there, there's a few things they can do better I, have, I don't know if they've done anything with that feedback or if that's been discussed or you know uh just put on a boot somewhere to, <laughs> to collect dust or you know or think they would use it later i i don't know i hope not because obviously I've, I've seen a program like that with my own eyes and see how how good it is and how good it can be and uh you know hopefully we can get something going in holland as well and this is this is one we often ask our guests but um the Olympics, what would that do for cricket, if anything, in, in the Netherlands? And, you know, where does the Olympics sit in terms of Dutch sport and interest in sport in the Netherlands? I think it would be massive. 
I know probably a year or two years before that, the Olympic Committee held financing some of the players, uh, the Dutch players, and they got sort of monthly retainers. And then they went off it and only the Olympic sports could qualify for it. So I think if we can get cricket back to the Olympics... It will come with some financial benefits for the Dutch players, which is obviously a massive bonus because you can keep more guys training throughout the year, but also sort of the, the bit more exposure you can get. It's another big tournament where you probably can, can compete in. It might be a similar setup where in football you might have to bring a younger team or you know an amateur team or whatever. And I think it just gives us an opportunity to sort of show our skills on the biggest event or biggest sport event in the world, basically. So um, you know, if we can get to the World Cup, I know the, the women's game obviously is going to the Commonwealth Games, which is, I don't know why it's only the women and not the men, but that's probably got to do with obviously how cricket works on the international level and there's probably no gap for the men to join but it's a bit shame to see that or sort of the, the men are not going but it's super exciting I think for the women's game that they, that obviously goes to the Commonwealth Games but um, you know the Dutch are not a Commonwealth country so obviously yeah. we're not getting that exposure <laughs> our women don't get that exposure you know so uh you know, I would love to see it at, a, at an Olympic event. I think a lot of athletes dream about going to the Olympics, even if their gay sport is not Olympic. They always have the hope that their sport will become Olympic and they will participate in the Olympics. So I'm not different than that. I would love to see cricket at the Olympics and I would love to sort of play Olympic games myself. But, um, you know, it needs to happen sooner than later, I reckon. Yeah, well, the, the hope is that with cricket being WADA approved and that Indian hurdle being overcome, that the possibilities are, are there for it to happen. But I, I just have this image of guys in, in orange in Los Angeles in 2028 bustling in and bowling fast at someone's head. I think it'd be <laughs> amazing to watch. I think also with the Olympics, you know, you don't have to send your national team. Why don't you send your A squad? You So if England can't send their proper guys, send your Lions, send the India A team. And then, you know, we can compete as a national team and you play against still some high quality players, which is only going to be better for Dutch players experience wise. And, you know, it gives us a chance to win a gold medal. <laughs> yeah, have all the full members playing under 23s team and everyone else play as senior squads. I suppose the only issue, yeah, well, the only other thing to add to that is that all the West Indian teams would be split up into, into different countries. But I think that's fun, though. Yeah, you'd think that Barbados and Jamaica would, would probably go a long way by themselves anyway. Pretty handy squads anyway, yeah. Yeah. Especially in T20. Exactly. I think it would be awesome. Unfortunately, I think from what the news is that the Olympics want cricket to put it pinnacle is probably pushing too far with established World Cups, but if they're going to be pushing to for first teams to be there, but I guess it's how you incorporate as many countries as possible into the pathway. Mm. You know, you may not be able to have a, a huge event to start with, and I know people talk about it being a, an eight-team event for men's and women's or maybe more, just because of the sheer numbers and the fact that the Olympics are trying to bring costs down. I'm sure bringing in big team sports is not probably high on their agenda unless, you know, the big fish that is India is going to be coming with it and the the eyeballs that that brings but yeah i think it's their challenge is finding that balance for a, a tournament that's respected enough to be in the olympics but also as inclusive as possible and if it does have different teams in the west indies and the west indies have already said they're behind that 100 percent. so the west indies are not the problem you know we would probably have regional qualification meaning that we'd have the best caribbean nation um looking never know a canada or usa or brazil might get past them but that's that's great in itself that we'll see one maybe a couple there and, and, and the fact it's a different structure a little bit similar to the under 19 World Cup that we see the regional winners rather than global qualifiers the, the, the Olympic movement could bring a, a new perspective to that where we see teams and players that we may not have seen otherwise but 
yeah, I, I forgot that uh, you're a non-Commonwealth nation, so you know you don't you, you don't have <laughs> got to you change know, your it, queen, mate. <laughs> yeah, so um, you know, for for many of us thinking about the impact of the the Commonwealth Games, but not having that. As you said, it's like if you want to talk about growing the game and everyone says, well, these 10-team cricket World Cups, you know, if you want to take that away, why don't you just put us in an Olympic Games? And that's, I think that that will help the growth of the game. I actually will take probably Olympic Games, maybe over 50 over World Cup. Mm. I think the way cricket is going, for me, I would love to see the Dutch team go do maybe a Kenya or something at the T20 event and then an Olympic Games. I think I would, if I, if I had to sign for something, I would probably do that then, do well in a T20 World Cup and maybe get the chance to play a 50 over cricket World Cup. With the Kenya stuff, as long as it's just on the field, the Kenya stuff. Uh- 2003 and not and not everything else off the field then i'm all for that as well no i i agree keep it on field same same with the dutch there are there are lessons of plenty across our, our vast cricketing world i think that uh, for better or worse no absolutely but uh well no that's that is an interesting perspective and i know that we've kind of poked you a bit with the olympic question but and i, I know that was a personal answer as opposed to talking for the game but yeah. i guess that just shows that even in a an unproven cricketing event that hasn't established itself beyond one games and let's be honest it was a you know bunch of amateurs playing against each other in a a fairly uh, ragtag event that didn't even get a gold medal that they were only awarded silver medals for winning anyway but it just shows the pull of the the olympics that you know we know that the pinnacle of cricket now even if t20 is the growth vehicle is still the 50 over world cup but to say that you know you're taking olympics over that i think that uh, the speaks volumes Mm. For me personally, you know, obviously the 50 over cricket is a pinnacle, but is it still a pinnacle event if you reduce it to 10 teams? That's a question. But obviously that's a personal view and not a view that maybe the KCB shares, obviously, or the other Dutch guys share. But I think the T20 event, I think that's our strongest format as a team. So, you know, I would love to really do well in there. And again, as I said before, who doesn't want to be in a professional sportsman or an athlete in an Olympic Games? I know that's what I want to do. You mentioned T20. How do you feel about T10 cricket? And as a fast bowler, it's probably going to get an answer we may expect. But what happens if it's T10 in the Olympics? I'll take it. I've never played T10 before, so that's... uh... They'll be excited. Obviously, I know a few guys who've played in the T10 tournament in Abu Dhabi and they all seem quite stoked about it. I've played some of the 100 formats in in club cricket here this summer. Played two games, which actually was very enjoyable. It was actually really, really fun. So, you know, maybe if T10 is too short and T20 is too long and the 100 is a format (laughs) maybe for the Olympics, but we can only tell as soon as the 100 is up and running here in the UK and and how that goes. But uh, yeah, the two games I played at club level was, uh, I was pleasantly surprised price and how much fun i had and just the speed of the game and stuff so yeah that was really good so i will give you a little bit of time to think about this paul but on the show we ask everyone uh if you could change one law in cricket what would it be and why <laughs> um, I'm not in this world cricket but in the uk i would love to see the the noble rule being changed because if you ball a bouncer in county cricket or in T20 cricket at the professional level, it's two runs and a bouncer is called a no ball, not a white, which takes, in my opinion, a, a wicket-taking delivery away, especially in the power play, because sometimes you can only have one guy out in the leg side and you want to make sure that bumper is high enough. So if he wants to go after and hit it, that's fine. But uh, if he hits it, he's out and it shouldn't be called a no ball. But that's, that's one thing I've been really stuck up on about the last few years when I figured out that a no ball bouncer was two rounds. <laughs> I think 
think as a bowler internationally, maybe the pitching outside leg ah. <laughs> with the LBW or maybe pitching outside leg can stay, but then impact outside off should go either or maybe both is too many, uh, either impact outside off or <laughs> pitching outside leg stump. So more LBWs and more bounces. That <laughs> sounds like a fast bowler's answer. <laughs> yeah. Oh, who would have thought? <laughs> well, at least he's true to the fraternity. You know, it's, the brotherhood is well represented. Yeah. <laughs> you either go for the head or you go for the toes, isn't it? <laughs> no, I, look, we get a lot of advances around man cad spirit of cricket and okay. double plays and stuff for that i've got a question for you guys yeah. you know the tim Payne dismissal that we saw last week or something where someone just played the board defensive and just stood there and he chucked the ball on the wicket and it was out yeah isn't that then similar to a man cat it is well you're talking to three guys well i'm a i'm a man i'm a and we shouldn't call a man cat person cat we, we, I, i'm a i'm a bowler zen run out convert you know when mark chapman was run out that oman t20i i oh, man cad never forget oh man cad i still think the umpires got it wrong with the playing conditions at the time but that's by the by I think that one by Tim Payne you didn't the disappointment you saw from the batter was not oh you cheated it was I'm an idiot yeah. for leaving it was yeah that is the dumbest thing I've ever done it's like oh look oh he didn't mean to Um, he just like left his like well that's like if you bowl a short ball by mistake is should the batter not hit it for four <laughs> yeah it's kind of like well you, it, you gotta have your wits about you you know some of the conversation around cricket and could the ball be live all the time to allow a bit like indoor cricket allow people to still runs or four run outs at either end at any time but Tim Payne's making a bit of a habit of that isn't he about waiting and waiting and that one he did throw the ball as soon as he got it but I think there was the uh, the stumping was it during the recent series or of semi-recent series in Australia where he waited for the batter to kind of overbalance a couple of seconds after he took the ball that one was the spirit of the game I think is to one side it's whether the laws of the game whether it's out so yeah I'm fine with it no, I think it's out. I thought it was brilliant, but I can see how some people find it a bit similar to a Mankat because he wasn't looking to get a run. But, you know, you talked about the Mankat, so I thought I'd throw this one in. No, it's good. Yeah. Generally, people say yes, yes, yes. They like to allow it and to, to drop the sanctimony from some people about it being against the you know, perceived lack of spirit of the game where, you know, there was a time in cricket when playing the ball to the leg side was deemed ungentlemanly and was frowned upon. Or bowling overarm. Yeah. Bowling overarm, diving for the ball, running, all these things and the game evolves and it's not like evolving into a game that people don't care about each other, but that's out. It's like, oh, you know, like oh, I ran down the weekend, tried to hit it, but, you know, I wasn't trying to score runs. I was just trying to block it, so don't don't stump me. I think it's a... Look, there are nothings challenging about cricket at the moment and growing and integrity that I think running out at the bowler's end is is not where we should be allocating that energy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we should be allocating that energy to educating players, growing the game and bringing people together in cricket and letting things like that get on from an entertainment factor, but also let the game continue and not under this sort of haze of, of spirit, which is so subjective. Yeah, it's a slippery slope, isn't it? Like as soon as you don't let something like that happen, that pain dismissal last week, you know, where do you eventually draw the line? Like if someone goes out and starts gardening when the ball's dead and they get run out or something, I think we can all acknowledge that that's... Well, that's if the ball is live or the time yeah, like, yeah. We, we didn't get on here for a debate of going over time but we're going to do it anyway <laughs> you've opened a can of worms and we've just <laughs> yeah. i started something which i should have started well we spend so much time together it's like you know you just we're in our own emerging cricket echo chamber too where it's actually quite refreshing having someone come on and actually probably ask us the tough questions <laughs> um mate you've been great Paul Van Meekeren, it's been great to have you on the Emerging Cricket Podcast. Thank you for joining us on, on the show and uh, yeah, keep doing what you're doing. Thanks, guys. It's been a great to be involved with Emerging Cricket now. So, uh, you know, I'm always here for a chat and uh, hopefully uh, we can get Dutch cricket on the map a bit more.
A huge thank you again to Paul Van Makeren for joining us on the Emerging Cricket Podcast. Make sure to subscribe to the AC Pod if you haven't done so already, so you can tune in as soon as it drops every week. Pass the pod around and make sure to give us a five star review. If you want to support us financially, go to Patreon. That's p a t r e o n dot com slash Emerging Cricket, where you can support us from as little as two dollars US a month. You'll get access to extended cuts of a number of our podcasts, and you'll have a say on the show's direction. For now, on behalf of Nick Skinner, Tim Cutler, and myself, Daniel Beswick, see you next week.